Age of Radio. You are listening to Texas History Lessons, a slow walk through Texas history made in Texas by a Texan for everyone everywhere. Welcome to Texas History Lessons. I'm Michael. And in this lesson, we're going to do a brief introduction to the many lessons that I'm preparing on Spanish Texas. The time frame I'm using is from 1519 when Pineda sailed the Texas coast and made the first map depicting Texas to 1821 when Mexico gained independence from Spain. It's an exciting period to study, and over the past few months, as I've been preparing for these lessons, I've learned a lot that I didn't know. It's very exciting. Now, in his important book, Spanish Texas, Donald Chipman wrote, even though not all Spanish influences affect the day-to-day lives of Texans, they are important enough to deserve more recognition than that traditionally given to them in most histories of the Lone Star State. As Gerald E. Pollo and Gilberto M. Hinosa have remarked, historians of Texas usually treat colonial Texas as a colorful, but for the most part, irrelevant prelude to the rest of the state's history. Well, I'm not going to do that with Texas history lessons. I am going to look closely with a broad perspective to try to feel I get a better understanding myself of why the things in Texas happened the way they did between 1519 and 1821. And this requires paying more attention to things going on in Mexico, Spain, and elsewhere in the world than sometimes you're given in other sources. By the end, I hope to understand why Spain didn't have more success in Texas as it did elsewhere. That's not to say that Spain did not leave a vast imprint and legacy in Texas. As a matter of fact, the Spanish period was the foundation for what was to come afterwards and has tremendous importance today. Now, Spain left its mark on Texas in many ways. The most obvious being the many Spanish names for counties, places, rivers, creeks, towns, and cities. About one-sixth of Texas's 254 counties, that's 42 counties, have Hispanic names or anglicized versions of the Spanish name, like Galveston and Uvalde. And then there are hundreds of physiographic features, like the Llano Estacado, the Guadalupe Mountains, Padre Island. And these help us remember the Spanish explorers and conquistadors that traveled through Texas several years before the English even set foot on the Atlantic coast of North America. Then there are the rivers of Texas to consider. Every major Texas river, except the Red River, up on the Texas-Oklahoma border, has a name that is Spanish or anglicized. The Trinity River was named La Santisma Trinidad, meaning the Holy Trinity. The Brazos name comes from the Spanish name meaning arms of God. The Nueces means nuts. Frio means cold. The Colorado River It's the Red River. We have two Red Rivers in Texas, the Colorado and the Red. And then there's the Rio Grande and the Guadalupe River, all with Spanish names. And there is the most obvious legacy, the name of the state itself. As Donald Chipman wrote in his book, Spanish Texas, yeah, I'm going to be relying on that book a lot because it is like the best book on Spanish Texas that I've been able to 
find. So you're going to be hearing that name a lot because it's it's the best. And I highly recommend you go find yourself a copy if you want to go deeper into some of these subjects. He writes, thanks to Indians in East Texas and the influence of a few Spanish officials who, for a change, insisted on a simple rather than a complex name for the province, Tejas became Texas, not the new kingdom of the Philippines. I kind of like that thing, though. Imagine living in the state of the Philippines. Another important debt to Spain we have is in the historical record and the literature from that era. The maps, diaries, itineraries, accounts, counts, records, and letters Spanish explorers and pioneers left behind are the foundation documents for Texas history. Now, the oldest known document of Texas history is the map of the Gulf Coast that I mentioned at the very beginning that was drawn during the voyage of Alonso Alvarez de Pineda in 1519. And I can't wait to talk about this because it's a lot of exciting things were happening in 1519. He sailed all along the coast of the Floridas, which was from the Florida Peninsula all the way down to the south of, of Texas and in, into Mexico and made a, a really detailed, nice map. It's a sketch, but it's a nice, pretty accurate map. Anyhow, I'm derailing myself here. The earliest descriptive accounts of Texas date back from the 1530s. After reaching Mexico in 1536, having wandered Texas for years, the three European survivors of the ill-fated Narvaez expedition that had become castaways on the Texas coast in 1528, they recorded the joint report. It's a memorial of their experiences in the North Country, including Texas. One of them, who we hear his name a lot, Cabeza de Vaca, he set down his own recollections a few years later and published it in 1542. It was published under the name Los naufragios or shipwrecks and you can find a copy of that online for very little if you want to take a look at it the two narratives are the first literature of texas they provide us with invaluable information on the indigenous peoples of texas now then there are the records of the 1540s expeditions of francisco vasquez de coronado and hernando de soto they provide early geographic and ethnographic information about the panhandle in East Texas. Pedro de Castaneda, who traveled with Coronado, wrote a narrative that gives us important information on the first European contacts with the Apaches and experiences on the High Plains. Chroniclers of the DeSoto expedition provide the first information on the Caddo's. Then there are missionaries like Father Espinoza and Juan Agustin Morphy who left literature that provide valuable insight in colonial life in Texas and the way the missions and presidios worked. And there are archives in Seville, Mexico City, and San Antonio that are packed with records of early Texas. Now, beyond historical records and literature, there are many more elements of life and culture that have persisted from the time of Spanish Texas. Now, one of the ones that stand out the most is that of cattle ranching. The Spanish expeditions of the 1680s brought along cattle, horses, and mules. Some of this stock strayed and was left behind when the Spanish abandoned Texas for a while in 1693, and these animals thrived. There's even reports that indigenous peoples had actually 
took to trying to keep them and as a source of food. Systematic ranching began in the earnest in the 1720s, and many words in stock-raising terminology like cinch, rodeo, remuda, chaps, lasso, and corral are either Spanish or of Spanish derivation. Ranching remains an important economic endeavor, a way of life, and a tradition in Texas. Along with ranching, Spain brought farming and irrigation methods originally to the San Antonio area. Then there's also San Antonio itself to consider, and many other towns and cities that originated in the Spanish era. It is considered the oldest municipality in Texas. The matter of the oldest settled area, excluding the areas originally inhabited by Native Americans, is a matter of some debate. Now, Goliad dates to 1749. Austin itself wasn't established until the 1830s, but the Franciscans had established Mission San Jose de los Nazones near Barton Springs in 1730. San Augustine was established in 1717. Nacogdoches promotes itself as the oldest town in Texas, and it was settled in 1716. And they promote this as being the oldest town in Texas because there is evidence that indigenous peoples have lived there for over 10,000 years. Then we have Isleta in El Paso County to be considered. It was established in 1680. El Paso also dates to 1680. The site of the town of Presidio was visited by Cabeza de Vaca in 1535 and had been a settlement for generations. And I think officially the town was founded in 1683. And then you shouldn't forget this little town named Panitas, or Las Panitas. Now this is an interesting, you don't see it brought up very much. In the mid-1520s, a priest and five other Spaniards from the Narvaez expedition founded this town. Now this is not the Narvaez expedition that resulted in the Cabeza de Vaca and the others being castaways in Texas. No, this is an earlier expedition in which Narvaez had been sent to confront Cortez bring him back either in chains or dead. That expedition did not end well. Narvaez lost an eye, ended up getting sent on another expedition to as kind of like a repayment for at least trying to deal with Cortez. And that, of course, ended badly also. We'll be looking in really close detail in the next couple of weeks on, at that. That expedition, like I said, didn't end well. And local tradition holds that the priests and five Spaniards founded Panitas rather than face the dangers of traveling home. The numerous missions that were established in Texas, many that you can go and visit today, had a lasting impact in Texas. Spain also has a legacy in Texas due to many Spanish legal practices that survived to become a permanent part of the state's body of law. This is especially in rules of judicial procedure, land and water law, and family law. And another interesting fact, about one-seventh of all private lands in Texas have titles emanating from Spanish sovereigns or Mexican officials. Now I want to take a quick break to thank Age of Radio for hosting Texas History Lessons. Beyond the Names the ranching and farming traditions, the towns and cities, the legal influence, the missions, and the historical records. 
Spain also has a legacy in many other areas. Art, architecture, education, music, theater, medicine, and religion. These are all exciting things we're going to be learning about as we cover these centuries of Spanish Texas. The oldest existing easel painting, for example, was by a professional artist depicting an event in Texas history was commissioned by Pedro Romero de Toreros. The painting was done in Mexico by an unknown artist, and it's called The Destruction of Mission San Saba, and it depicts the events in 1758 of an Apache attack on the mission. And Toreros' cousin had died in the event, so he had this commission to be painted. I'd like to quote from an excellent editorial written by Joe Avia Jr. in 1999 for Dallas Business Journal. And he's writing about Texas Hispanic heritage. And he has been president and CEO of Thomas S. Byrne Incorporated and has been chairman of the Fort Worth Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. And what he says here, I couldn't say any better because I'm just going to quote him directly. The Hispanic heritage of Texas does not belong to Hispanics or the Spanish speaking alone. It is a part of the continuing heritage of every Texan, whatever tongue we speak and from whatever continent we or our ancestors arrived. It is part of our common past and it forms part of our present reality. He goes on a little bit later to say Hispanic influence permeates almost all aspects of contemporary Texas life. Its presence is felt not only in material worlds such as architecture, ranching, and foodways, but in the more tangible universes of language, music, and folklore. There are Hispanic imprints on the Texas landscape from the time of exploration to the present. Spanish-derived place names, both descriptive and commemorative, fixed to natural as well as political features on the map of the state, are both tangible and intangible aspects of our Hispanic heritage. From East Texas to El Paso, the missions, whether archaeological sites, ruins, restorations, or original structures, are the best-known symbols of Hispanic heritage in Texas. The history of the Texas Revolution, by which we gained our independence from Mexico, is studied in the surviving structures of the missions of the Alamo and Goliad, where the blood of the founding ethnic groups of Texas was shed. The state's cattle industry began with Spanish ranchos, of the mission period and later evolved into the vast holdings of Anglo-American cattlemen like Charles Goodnight and Mifflin Kennedy. The Vaquero methods and his language still play an important role in ranching and farming in Texas. Now in future lessons I'm going to be taking a very close look at the foundations of Spain that had an influence in the development of Texas. I'll be revisiting some questions that I've asked before and I'm going to keep asking them what is Texas? What does it mean to be a Texan? When did Texas begin to exist? We're going to sail the coast with Pineda. We're going to fight Cortez with Nervaez. We're going to travel Texas with Cabeza de Vaca and march with conquistadors in search of treasure. We're going to stand with indigenous people as strange bearded men in robes try to tell us to worship a man who had been executed on a cross. We will ride with the first cowboys at the missions. We will watch as the Apaches and the Comanches and other tribes Find the horse and start riding, and th this will catapult them into another level of power and domination. We were going to meet a lot of interesting people and try to understand what motivated them to do what they did. There are many adventures awaiting us, 
as we start the lessons on Spanish Texas, and I am excited to get going. So that's going to do it for this introductory lesson on Spanish Texas. In the next lesson, I'm going to be looking at the power of ideas and start to try to get a grip on the elements that shaped the nation of Spain that found itself in control of a vast empire not very long after actually emerging as a nation-state itself in the 1400s. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. You can support the show through its Patreon. Go leave reviews wherever you leave reviews at. <laughs> Share with your friends in the social media. I want to thank Jay, Ron, Kay, Josh, Tim, and our newest Patreon supporter, Brenda. Your contributions help provide valuable assistance in getting resources for research. Thank you all a lot again. Now we're going to end this episode with another song by Texas History Lesson Spotlight artist Mando Salas. Go check him out wherever you listen to music and contact him to let him know how much you love him. You can find him on Twitter. There'll be links in the show notes to find out how to find more of his music. But this song that we're going to end with is off of Mando's album Forever. And this song is How It Goes. Thanks for listening. Until next time, be kind. Take care of yourselves and each other. Adios. Shake!
Sorry.